This is M.I.P. With Masamela Mafumo. Mark Thompson. Get woke. Ladies and gentlemen, always a privilege and an honor to be joined by the gentleman from the great state of South Carolina. He is the assistant Democratic leader immediately past Majority Whip, Congressman James Clyburn, your friend and mine. Congressman, how are you today? Oh, I'm just fine. Just fine. Hope you are. I'm good. Yes, I am just fine, sir. So you were obviously directly involved in the vote. All the Democrats, the caucus stood together to vote against Kevin McCarthy. Was there ever any real consideration to helping him or helping him save his job? Absolutely. Many of us were interested in trying to maintain stability in the institution. And we thought that there would be a pathway to doing that. But last Saturday, when the vote came to as to whether or not to keep the government open, you may recall the Senate had been working, marking stuff to the top lines that had been agreed to by the president and the speaker back to when we were trying to cure the problem with the debt limit. And everybody was operating on that, the theory that that's the deal. Well, then all of a sudden, the speaker had authorized his people to mark to a much lower number than had been agreed to. And on top of that, the president is all for doing what we need to do to maintain our image around the world, protecting Ukraine, helping them in their fight. And we wanted to fund Ukraine. He didn't want to do that and did not do that. So the bill comes to the floor with, to keep the government open for 47 days and to fund disasters, which is great. That was McCarthy's bill. That was not our bill. We wanted Ukraine in it. And we wanted other things to do to happen that Democrats would want. But we agreed to put that off to later, and we voted for his bill. Every Democrat saved one. We had 200, over 200 Democrats voted for that bill. Two people were absent uh, for emergencies, uh, and one person voted no. The rest of us voted yes. Now, we thought that was a great gesture on our part. But the next morning, Sunday morning, on Face the Nation, there was McCarthy blaming Democrats for doing this, Democrats for pushing us to the brink, all kinds of stuff. And it angered people. How do you sit down, people, and say, this, you're going to protect, keep the government open, we go, you, you voted for my bill, and then insult people the next day. That was it. So those of us who wanted to vote to save his speakership felt compelled to line up with our caucus, and the vast majority of whom did not want to vote to save his speakership. He had just double-crossed too many people too many times. 
it's my understanding too, it also came up in the caucus meeting the morning of the vote, not only face the nation, but let's face this too. He decided to proceed with an impeachment inquiry into President Biden without that coming to a floor vote. That too is problematic, is it not? Yeah, that was the other thing that I was trying to think of. That was the impeachment thing. We were uh, very disturbed when he promised to hold carpet. Uh, old um, uh, House, most especially his conference, that an impeachment vote would be had before any movement on impeachment. And that's a real double cross. What he did was he had the authority to authorize it, and he did it without a vote. I think I can read the tea leaves well enough to know that he, he had put that issue on the floor, whether or not to move with an impeachment of Joe Biden, it would not have passed. There are enough Republicans over there who would not have voted for that because they uh, are living in, in the real world. They know there's no reason to be inquiring about an impeachment of the president. What person? will not be supportive of his or her son that's having an addiction problem. And everybody knows that. And nobody has seen anything that Joe Biden has said or done that violates or goes beyond, it's probably the best way to say it, being a father to your son. He didn't do anything or say anything that anybody has pointed to that would violate any laws, just trying to be a father to his son. And so I think, uh, I feel certain uh, that there would never been votes in the House to move on an impeachment. And I think McCarthy knew that. So rather than put the thing on the floor, he just did it on his own. That angered a lot of Democrats and some Republicans as well. McCarthy just kept doing stuff like that. And I think the American people understand that when you are working among 435 people and people and somebody gives you their word, you really operate in the theory that that person's word is his or her bond. It just doesn't work that way with McCarthy. So when the thing came to a vote, as to whether or not to vacate the chair, the Democrats voted uh, in lockstep. And let me say one other thing about that, because a lot of people, and I heard some of it this morning, uh, saying that the problem solvers uh, could have saved him. The problem solvers, that's a group of people, uh, it's about us, it's about 24, maybe 30 people, I don't know, maybe 15 Democrats, 15 Republicans, I don't know what the number is. I'm not a member of the group, uh, but it's, they call themselves problem solvers. The even number of Democrats and Republicans, and they work to try to find common ground. Well, a lot of people say the problem solvers should have voted to protect McCarthy. If the 15 Democrats were to vote to protect him, then what would the 15 Republicans be doing? Would they vote with the 15 Republicans and say, okay, we're going to solve this problem? Let's put, let's vote to put Ukraine in here. 
all this, vote to denounce or stop this impeachment stuff. What were the 15 Republicans going to put on the table? If the 15 Democrats in the problem solver says, okay, we're going to vote to protect McCarthy. Now, my Republican counterparts, what are you all going to do for us? Come on. It can't be one-sided. And, it's, and to some extent, as you said, it already was. As, as we've discussed, often the politics is out of compromise. The Democrats did compromise. They uh, did. To keep the government open. We he did. We voted lockstep for his bill. In fact, we put up more votes. Remember now, we what, 208 votes, I think, we put up? They only put up 126, I think. That's right. Uh, they voted for him. We gave him many more votes than his Republican colleagues gave him. And then he lambasted us all over the media Sunday morning. That didn't make sense. No, and you said something interesting. You feel he didn't put the impeachment vote on the floor because he didn't have the votes. Now, that was your job. You were the whip. So you're supposed to count votes. Yeah. So it's interesting that he knew he would know he didn't have the votes for impeachment. He didn't know he didn't have the votes to save his speakership, did, did he assume you all were just going to save him? And what made, he pushed it on out there, let's have the vote. What was he thinking? Who did he think was going to save him? I really think uh, that the, the two things, he was rolling the dice. I think that he got to the point where uh, he says, I'm tired of this. I'm never going to get out of this cul-de-sac that I put myself in if it happens, if it, if not, it, it, it just won't. I think that he just put it on the floor, hoped that he would survive, knowing full well he probably wouldn't. I, I think he knew when he put that on the floor that he probably was sealing his fate. I don't think he, he thought that vote was going to pass. He was hoping that it would pass. It's like you, you prepare for the worst, hope for the best. I think he was hoping for the best, but he was prepared for the worst. Congressman, a guest on my show has said this, which I thought was very interesting, because obviously there's a discussion now who will be the next speaker. He said that it might even be in Republicans' interest, considering the road they're traveling, for them to support Leader Jeffries. And, and this was the reasoning. His reasoning was they clearly don't want to govern. They don't want to really do anything. If you have a Democrat as speaker, they can just use that to raise money for themselves. It's all going to be grift anyway. W- what do you think about that? Is there any chance that Lita Jeffries could be come the speaker next week? Oh, yeah, that's a chance. And it's possible, but I don't think it's probable. What we have to keep in mind that the speakership is much more than what people see. Number one, you're third or second in line to the president. Uh, you just go from the president, vice president, speaker of the house. And so when you look at uh, this thing from through partisan lenses, and I think that's what you have to do here, and there are a lot of other things, powers in the speakership that would be taking place that uh, there have to be a lot of negotiations about. And so uh, I don't see anything like that happening unless there's a pretty serious discussion taking place 
with a critical mass of Democrats and Republicans, talking about the oil, the power and authority that goes with the speakership uh, for uh, a party to give up the speakership with their votes. I think there are a lot of discussions away from public view would have to take place because there is a plethora of, of stuff that the speaker does. People think it's just a preside. You very seldom see the speaker presiding. There's always somebody else presiding in the chair. The speaker is usually working away from public view on some very serious matters. Quite frankly, I think second only to the president. I know the vice president sits in line from to ascend to the presidency if something were to, to occur. But when it comes to the kind of power, the kinds of authority, the process, I think the Speaker of the House probably would eclipse uh, the vice president constitutionally. So maybe now is opportunity for the problem solvers to actually do something. Absolutely. If there's a role of the problem, do something constructive, not sit there just to be an obstacle, but to do something constructive. So the problem solvers can play a role at this point, And that role could be to sit down and find out how best we can. Partisanship is not bad. Bipartisanship is a good thing. And you can have a bipartisan speakership that could be headed by a Democrat or a Republican. You can find a bipartisan way forward. I think that was what was going on between the speaker and the president when they negotiated the top lines for the budget. That was a bipartisan. We all voted for that. Over, over 300 people voted for that, that deal. And so that was bipartisanship. What's wrong? But we had a bipartisan bill on infrastructure. I thought there should have been more Republicans that voted for it than they did. We had a bipartisan bill on what chips and science. I think we had a bipartisan bill with the PAC Act. So you can have real bipartisanship. I don't mean with 10 or 12 Republicans voting with all Democrats or 10 or 12 Democrats voting with Republicans. I'm talking about real 300, 350 vote bipartisan legislation coming forward. That's what will bring the country together. It's for us to put aside these little silly things. I just saw a guy on, on here this morning, I think his name's Graves, the guy who was on the floor holding up the phone, his device showing up. People were already fundraising off the vote they had just cast on the floor. I would never do anything like that. I never have done anything like that. Because I don't do all the social media stuff. Some is done on my behalf. Uh, but I've talked to my folks and tell them that we don't do any kind of fundraising off anybody's misery. Exploitive. It's, it's political opportunism. Absolutely. But now that you mention it, and you are ever the historian, has there ever been a situation where there has been a speaker who was not in the majority party. I, I don't know. Do, do you know, has there ever? No, I don't know if there ever haven't been. And I think it was Joe Cannon, who was back 1912 or something, I think. I know it was over 100 years ago, had a speakership challenge like this. He, he survived it. And what's so funny about that, if you look at Joe Cannon survived that, 
And there's a whole office building named for Joe Cannon. My office address is 274 Cannon Building, named after that guy. There's a big display there. When you do the right thing, that's what you remember for. I doubt if we see an office building or anything close to it named for McCarthy, <laughs> simply because you just have to, you, you may, if he had sat down with Hakeem Jeffers, I was on, I don't know how many news shows saying it's easy here. Just sit down with Hakeem Jeffries, work out some kind of a bipartisan approach to this uh, and bring it to the floor. I kept saying he must have 150 friends over there on his side. I know Hakeem's got 150 hardcore friends. Of course, I know he's got over 200 hardcore friends on the Democratic side. And if he would have brought 150, we'd have 350 votes for a bipartisan piece of legislation, even if he can get all of his Republicans to vote for it. And then we could have, he would still be speaker and the country would be in a better place. People's attitudes about uh, the House of Representatives would be totally different and we could be marching off into the sunset. No, you really have all this acrimony. This is just, doesn't, this doesn't make sense. And like you said, acrimony to, to raise money off of. Yeah. What, what happens? Because it doesn't even seem like they can agree, the Republicans, on who their leaders should be. So what happens if this just doesn't stop? What if they literally cannot agree? I think Scalise is looking at it, Jim Jordan. What happens if they cannot agree themselves on a speaker? What happens to the House? Oh, I don't know. I've been saying all week that we're in uncharted territory. Mm -hmm. And you mentioned history. I study it every day. The country, we are experiencing things in this country that, that today that we have not encountered in 100 years. If you look at what's been happening over the past six, seven months, it was since January 6th of last year, that insurrection. I've said this before and I'll say it again because I think it's exactly true. Somebody took a playbook from the 1876 presidential election. And I, I'm sure that Trump didn't do it, but somebody advising them knew exactly what they were doing. If you go back to 1876, you will find that in that election, when Ruffer B. Hayes was elected president of the United States, he was elected over a guy named Tillman, who happened to be from New York. Is a Democrat from New York. Hayes, a Republican from, I think, Ohio. He just got elected president by one vote. One vote. And what happened? He brought it into Reconstruction. That's what the deal was. They made a deal to take the troops out of the South that were enforcing Reconstruction, get rid of those troops, leave the newly freed slaves up to the created devices that could come from the Southern states, which is what happened. The Jim Crow laws all came in. People need to understand, Jim Crow laws, Reconstruction in all the stuff came about by one vote. 
one vote margin is what led to all of that destruction. And there were three states involved, three states, set up two sets of uh, electoral votes, South Carolina, Louisiana, and Florida. That's what they were trying to do when they were setting up these fake electors, trying to force this election into the House of Representatives and trying to pull off what happened before. It's not just happening in the House. It's happening in the Supreme Court. They've co-opted the Supreme Court. They've gotten rid, what, 10 years ago? They got rid of the effectiveness of the Voting Rights Act. This stuff is by design. And they've got, they've now, what was a nine to zero decision in Brown v. Board of Education that brought an end to Jim Crow is now a six to three decision because Trump appointed three people to the Supreme Court. And it did it by surreptitiously taking away the authority that Obama had to put Merrick Garland on the Supreme Court. And so it's by design. It's happening in the Supreme Court, uh, the, 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 the Senate, using the filibuster to keep us from passing progressive laws, the filibuster. Now, the filibuster, now I'm going to get the history. I don't know if you're listening, go out and say, oh, Jim Clyburn said that. No, the filibuster did not come about as a result of civil rights. The filibuster was used to throw civil rights. Strom Thurmond from South Carolina set the record. Almost 26 hours on the floor using the filibuster against the 1957 uh, Civil Rights Act. Though the filibuster was there before, in fact, it was made famous over uh, a bill trying to establish a national bank. And John C. Calhoun from South Carolina was the one uh, that used it effectively to keep us from establishing a, try to keep us from having a national bank. Want to have all these banks all around so they could keep people divided. They want to have uh, a, a central financial situation in the country. So we're reliving all of that now. And so the question then becomes, have we learned anything from that history? Or are we going to just sit quietly by and allow one vote, which is your vote, the one vote next time could very well be your vote. Or are you going to use your one vote to make sure that these things won't happen and, and, and not follow uh, all the stuff? If you look at what's happening with these so-called social media now, the kind of stuff that's here, if you look at that, I can tell you it is nothing but a an updated, let's, let's say, a modern-day application of, of what was used back in 1876 against Black people. Just made-up stuff. Go back and look at some of this stuff, and you'll be shocked how they made up things and had meanings. They created, we call them, you may call them the Freedom Caucus, or whatever you may call it now, 
They're just the legislative response to what used to be the rich search. You look at all of the stuff that's going on, there's violence going on now, the rifle clubs that were established back then. All of this was to thwart civil rights and voting rights and all other kinds of participation that people have when you have a democracy. That's what's going on now. And what we've got to remember, and, I, and if nobody remembers anything I, I've said here today, please remember this. The last time the country was here, 1876, Brother B. Hayes became president of the United States by one vote. Who one vote was that? Today, your one vote counts. Don't you sit back on election day and let the result once again be an end to what people have been calling the second reconstruction. If the first reconstruction can come to an end, the second reconstruction can come to an end. Will it come to an end by one vote like the other one did? And will that one vote be your vote? Nobody who wants to see a future in this country for their children and their grandchildren should be sitting down when the election come around, nobody who wants to see a better life for their children and grandchildren should fail to vote when elections come around. And stop listening to all of this stuff that people put out there. They are putting it out there today the same way they put this stuff out before. I'll ask anybody. Google it. Google Presidential elections, 1876, and just read what happened in 1876 to black people and what happened to the democracy and how we got Jim Crow laws. It all came about by one vote. Congressman James Clyburn, Ladies and gentlemen, is always making the case he's right. Watch the propaganda. We're influenced by social media probably more than we should be. So we'll watch this. We got to run, I know, but so the next speaker vote will be Wednesday, will it? Is that the understanding? Or That's what they've scheduled it to be Wednesday. I think they're going to have a forum uh, among themselves on Tuesday, and they're going to have a speaker vote on Wednesday. We're going to put Hakeem Jeffries up, as we did before. We are going to say to them, I don't know who will be making his nominating speech, but I hope they will remind people of what they saw mm. on the floor in full display. If you want to continue to see for this country what we all saw with Hawking Jeffries' remarks on the floor of the House, as opposed to what we saw from Gates and others, on the floor of the house, puts one of those images that you want to see and want your children and grandchildren to see going forward. And let's vote to maintain that the image that you think is best for your children and grandchildren. If that were to occur, who knows? You might see a Hakeem Jeffers speaker more quickly than we think. He's going to be the next, uh, going to be speaker of the house. He may not be the next speaker, and he may not be speaker 
next week. But I suspect he's going to be speaker next year. Amen to that. Congressman Clyburn, as always, we thank you, my friend. Thank you very much for having me. Thanks for getting woke and listening to Make It Plain. As always, perform an act of kindness on behalf of an elder or young person. Write a letter to a sister brother who just so happens to find her or himself incarcerated. Offer libations to the ancestors upon whose sturdy shoulders we all now stand. And above all, give thanks to the God of your understanding by whatever name you call her and him. All God asks of us is that we give each other love. Thanks for giving MIP love. And please remember to subscribe and give us a five-star rating. If all hearts and minds are clear, it has been made plain.